um, that have uh, Bibles on them. We encourage you to get those. I don't care if you get up when I'm talking. It won't bother me. This is not some kind of formality. We came here to worship, right? And if you've got to get up and go get a Bible, get up and go get a Bible, right? And so we've got to have it. You've got you to be like the, the Bereans who examine the Scriptures daily to make sure what I'm saying is true. So don't just take my word or look there in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can't look there in your Bible. So don't just take it because I said it. Take it because God said it in his word. So make sure you have a copy of God's word, and we'll be happy to give you those Bibles if you need a Bible. So turn in those Bibles to Acts 18. And this morning we're continuing our series in the book of Acts, which we've entitled Missio Dei, uh, which is Latin for mission of God. I think this is the 36th message in um, Acts, and I still think I've gone too fast. Um, I really do. I mean, just amazing the things in here, and we could just, uh, um, some of these, just uh, two verses would be enough to do, but I I will spare you that. But we're going to be covering, Lord willing, this morning, Acts 18, 23 through 19.7. And let me say this again. This is one of those places uh, where the, the chapter and verse numbers are unfortunate, okay, because they hinder the flow of the passage. Uh, remember, now, you, if you haven't heard this before, the, the, the numbers are not inspired by God. They were put there to help us find our place. So when I say that, don't think I'm questioning the authority and the inerrancy of the Word of God. I'm not at all. I'm just saying sometimes they're very awkward where they put the numbers. Maybe it just got too long, you know. In chapter 18 was long enough. They said, all right, let's start with number 19 right here. I don't know why. Um, and I'm thankful for those numbers, but just understand that this is one of those cases. Um, as we look at this passage, and that's why we're going from 18 into 19. But the title of this message this morning is The Rest of the Story, The Essential Nature of the Holy Spirit. So let's go to the Lord and ask him to help us to do what only he can do. Lord, we do come to you now in our time in the word together, in the preaching of your word, which you've commanded for your church to be about, proclaiming the word, explaining the word, so that you might take the word and plant it deep within us, that it might be lived out in our lives by the power of God the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we ask that you do that um, as we look at this passage of Scripture. And, Lord, whether we've read this passage ten times, a hundred times, or zero times, Lord, I pray that you would make it uh, be fresh in our minds, fresh in our hearts. Use it to change us, to make us more like Jesus, that you might be glorified in and through our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, most of us have heard of Paul Harvey, haven't we? Um, he, who used to be a radio broadcaster uh, for ABC, ABC Radio Network. He, he passed away in 2009, but uh, still you can hear his work on the radio as they recorded much of it. He was most famous for the end of his broadcast for a segment known as The Rest of the Story. How many of you all have heard Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. He would, he, what would happen is he would tell some amazing story or tr- of trial or triumph in the life of an individual, and he would usually leave full names out. He might say like Albert. I remember one on Albert Einstein. He was talking about Albert, and he had this whole story about Albert Einstein. He was like a regular Joe. And at the end of each story, whether Albert Einstein or somebody else, he would say this, and now for the rest of the story. And you couldn't wait to hear the rest of the story to find out who was this person and where he would then, after that he would say and now for the rest of the story, he would reveal the name of the person the story was about and and it was generally the name of some famous person. You can't believe what you just heard about that famous person. 
the rest of the story and all of a sudden that person's life took on a different character for you. It, it all of a sudden became more exciting, it became more real because you learned something about that person that you never would have known. It was some amazing fact, whether it be a trial or a triumph in their life early on. And so the, the, the story was always good. It was always a good story. But it was never a great story. It was never a complete story until you had the rest of the story. It'd be like telling the story of water, saying, you begin with the chemical element, hydrogen. In fact, two hydrogen atoms make up water. The end. Let me say that again. Let me tell you a story about water. Two hydrogen elements make up water. H2. The end. Now, I don't know a whole lot about chemistry. I'm, I'm showing the extent of my periodic table right now, all right? Uh, and it is true that water is made up of two parts of hydrogen. Two um, hydrogen atoms make up water, but that's not the whole truth, is it? It's not the whole truth. The rest of the story is this, that water consists of two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. Aha! Now we have water. But without the oxygen atom, we do not have water. Although it is true that there are two hydrogen atoms in water. But to make water, you have to have H2O. Listen, oxygen is essential to the nature of water. You can't have water without oxygen. And this morning in our study of Acts, we're going to be reminded the essential nature of the Holy Spirit when it comes to being a Christian. You cannot be a Christian and therefore be right with God, your sins forgiven, be promised heaven, be a child of God without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, be a Berean. Is he just making this up? No, I'm not. There you go. Romans 8, 9, look what it says. Paul, speaking of the Spirit. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. That's pretty clear. If someone does not have the Spirit of Christ, which is another name for the Holy Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. They are not a Christian. In other words, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is essential to being a Christian. And in fact, it's synonymous to being a Christian. One who has been made right with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Since this is the case, this, this, then I want to encourage us to listen humbly to what the Lord has to say through Acts this morning. It's, I think we would all agree it's of utmost importance if that's true. We need the rest of the story. And as we work through this passage, you're going to see where some people didn't have the rest of the story. And therefore, they were not Christians. They were not born again, which is also synonymous with being a Christian. You can't be a... There's no such thing as a born-again Christian. You're stuttering. A born-again, indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, Christian. Now you're studying three times. Because they all mean the same thing. But you can't be a Christian without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Some people need the rest of the story. Not only in this passage here, but I believe there's some people in this room right now. And I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but I believe in a room this big with this many people, there's somebody in this room that needs the rest of the story. They're not a Christian, but they think they are. And all of us, whether we're a Christian or not, we need to hear what God has to say through his word this morning. 
So let's turn our attention to this passage. And I'm going to walk down as usual as I've been doing in this narrative of Acts and walk down and explain and point out some truths by the grace of God that are in here. And then I'm going to come back and give us some practical things, that, just a few practical things of the many that can be applied to our life. But before we get in, in, begin here in verse 23 of Acts 18, let's be reminded of where we are in the unfolding story in the book of Acts. Let's be reminded again of two things. First, the theme of the book of Acts, and secondly, the outline of the book of Acts. The theme is the mission of God. He's on a mission to rescue people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from the penalty, the presence, and the power of sin. It's the mission of God. See, the book of Acts is about God. We call it the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of the God, the Holy Spirit. All right, that's what's happening here. So it's to build his church. That's, that, that's the theme. And the charge to do this, the charge to build the church, to, to take the gospel to the ends of the world so that people can be part of the family of God, his church, is found in Acts 1.8, which you see before you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and, and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. So this is the outline of the book of Acts. And we're now at this, second, this last part where it says even the remotest part of the earth. That's where we are in the book of Acts. We've been there for a little while now. And he's taken the, they're taking the gospel to the remotest parts of the earth. We've already been in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Now they're remotest parts of the earth. This is the outline of the book of Acts. Paul has just completed now, when we come to Acts 18, 18 23, he's just completed his second missionary journey, which... Uh, Tyler read part of us for, read, read for us part of his second missionary journey. He's ended his second missionary journey in Ephesus, where he left some good friends, Priscilla and Aquila, to continue to share the gospel in Ephesus. So I'm going to show you my map here, okay? I'll start on this side, okay? His second missionary started in Antioch up, up here, went all the way up through here, crossed back over here. There's Ephesus. Now he's making his way home, comes back down to Caesarea, Jerusalem, and then back to Syria. And so that's where we find um, Paul here. At, at, so you guys see this? He's running this way. Ends his real ministry part of the, the missionary journey at Ephesus. Comes back down this way. Takes the long way home. All right. And comes back to Antioch. And that's where we find him. Home in Antioch. But before we move into to today's passage and the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey, let me mention how challenged I am by Paul's dedication to what God had called him to. I want you to look where he'd been. This is his second missionary journey. He didn't cross over uh, into Europe yet on his first missionary journey. He stayed in Asia. But he went, took one, came back, reported, took another even longer. And just remember, he did this mostly on foot. He got beat up a lot. The weather wasn't always cooperative. The sun beating down on him. Every once in a while, it's thought that he was on a horse because of the speed that he got to a certain city. Uh, but most of the time, he was on foot. He was dedicated. He was focused on the call, the mission of God, being, about a, being a part of that mission. Yet many people find it hard to cross the street to give the gospel to their neighbor in their neighbor's air-conditioned home. And many people find it hard to get in their air-conditioned car and go to a neighboring city to give the gospel to someone who needs the gospel. And many people have, have a hard time getting on an airplane that will fly you all over the world and they feed you on the airplane that's also air-conditioned and come by and ask you for, if you want something to drink all the time. 
Paul would have loved that. And they have a hard time getting on a plane like that. And, 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 and just, it's just such a struggle to get on a plane. And they do all that for you. And go to a place like Uganda and, 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 and land in Entebbe Airport. And then somebody come and pick you up in a four-wheel drive vehicle. Yes, maybe there's 20 people in that seat, six-seater. Okay? But you're in a vehicle. And then you are taken to a remote village called Kumbamitwe to minister the gospel and they feed you the whole time mutoki and and some good stuff like that i'm saying this because we have some missionaries here from uganda today you're going to hear from a second but we have a hard time and yet all those things just the luxuries we have all that god's given us technology all those comforts and i'll be honest i'm one of those people who sometimes has a hard time walking across the street in my neighborhood to my air-conditioned neighbor's house to share the gospel with them I'm challenged by this. I'm humbled and, and sometimes embarrassed when I look at what Paul did and the complaints that sometimes we bring up. It's just too tough. Well, compared to Paul, it's not tough. But I want to tell you that Paul was not superhuman. He was a man, someone mankind, man or woman, all right, just like you and me. Just like us. He was not superhuman. But he did have God the Holy Spirit living inside of him which empowered him to do what God had called him to. And that same God, the Holy Spirit, if you know him, indwells you too and can give you the power to go places you never thought you could go and to speak to people you never thought you could speak to about the gospel because it's that important. When God lives in us, we can do anything, can't we? We could do it all on foot with no air conditioning too. We could do just what he did. We could and we can and I want to encourage us to be, please be reminded that God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us. We don't, we're, not, we're not overwhelmed by that enough. I'm not overwhelmed by that enough. God has called us to an amazing, unbelievable, in some ways unreachable task to reach the world with the gospel. But he didn't leave us alone, did he? Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what he's called us to do. Now, this is just a side note, but as I was studying this, this week and I was looking at the map again, I was just humbled. Look at that. And, and it brought conviction in my own life that I need to be more focused and relying on the Holy Spirit to do what God has called me to do in getting the gospel out. Well, let's now continue in verse 23. That's the sermon before the sermon, okay? And uh, in verse 23, in the beginning of Paul's this third missionary journey, look there with me. And having... I think I went forward too quick here. Let me go back. No, okay. Sorry about that. Verse 23. And having spent time there, he left and passed successfully through the Galatian region in Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So here we have Paul's third missionary journey. He's back in Antioch again. He starts and he goes through. This is the Galatian area here. Okay. And Phrygia. Okay. The best way you remember Phrygia how to pronounce that it's frigid okay it's not really frigid there but it helps me okay so here he comes he comes through there and um comes starts in Antioch and comes back up here now he's visiting right up here this is where he's gone back to and now please remember that Paul has planted these churches on his first two missionary journeys 
Right? He's been there. He's going back to people he's been. And what does it say in the text that he does when he goes to these regions? It says, he was strengthening all the disciples. Now, how do you think that Paul would strengthen all the disciples in those areas, in, the, in, the, in, those, in those churches? Well, he would do what he did the first time he went there. He would give them the word of God. Because Paul understood people are only strengthened by the word of God. And Jesus reminded us in his, in his what they call the high priestly prayer in John 17 as he's praying to the Father and the night that he was betrayed, he reminds us of this in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's why we do the abide readings. So we can talk about it together. That's why we, we have life groups and small group Bible studies that meet throughout the week. That's why we get together one-on-one -on -one and we talk about the Word of God. That's why we come together on Sunday morning and we preach and proclaim and teach the Word of God because we want to be strengthened. We want to be, as the Bible says, sanctified, which means to be made holy, to be made more like Christ, and it comes through the Word of God. So no doubt, Paul, he was using the Word of God to strengthen the disciples in those regions. And we would do well to follow God's plan of strengthening the disciples by being in his word and giving his word to others, strengthening them through the word. So Luke, the human author of Acts, now push the pause button right here, all right? This is the beginning of the third missionary journey. He gets out the remote, Luke does, and he goes, pause. And then he, he's got one of those TVs, I don't have one of these, that he can do like multiple screens on one screen, you know? He kind of moves that over and he brings up another screen. And it's kind of like a parenthesis. It's something happening somewhere else. And he takes us, and he gives pause, his pause to the third missionary journey. He takes us back to Ephesus, where Paul ended his second missionary journey. But it's, it's going on at the same time Paul's beginning his third. And there's something, ha his third missionary journey, there's something happening in the second, in, in, in Ephesus, during the same time Paul takes off and is in, in the Galatia region. There's something else happening. God, through Luke, wants us to see what's happening. Look at verses 24 and 25 now. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So in these verses, we're introduced to a man named Apollos, who came to Ephesus evidently after Paul had left Ephesus. All right, he'd already gone. And in fact, at this time, Paul's on his third missionary journey. But this is what's going on in Ephesus. So what do we learn about Apollos from these verses? First of all, he was Jewish. He was Jewish. He, he worshipped Yahweh. All right, the same God that we worship. The one true God. He was Alexandrian by birth. He was trained in Jewish schools in Alexandria, Egypt, which at this time, Athens was no longer the center of intellectualism. Alexandria was, and people went there to get trained to all kinds of things. Many famous philosophers came out of Alexandria. One of the greatest libraries in the history of our world was found in Alexandria. So he was Alexandria by birth, and that's where he was trained. And it says also in, the, in our passage, he was an eloquent man, that he spoke well. He, he was, he was a, and I would use this word um, uh, not as a criticism, but good. He was a smooth speaker. He, he spoke well, and it was smooth as eloquent. And next it says he was mighty in the scriptures. He knew his Old Testament very well and how to use it to present truth and refute error. And, and this is what I want to be. I want to be mighty in the scriptures. This is what you should want to be. 
as a follower of Christ is to be mighty in the scriptures, to know the scriptures. Here it's speaking about the Old Testament. We should know our Old Testament too, right? When Jesus was on a scene, what was he quoting to the devil? The Old Testament. And many Old Testament quotes are throughout the New Testament. Not only just New Testament, we need to know the Old. And then it says, he, instructed, he was instructed in the way of the Lord. I don't have time this morning to show you this, but this is an Old Testament term for instruction in the things of God. It says he was instructed in the way of the Lord. And many times in the Old Testament, when it's speaking of being, about being instructed in the Pentateuch and the, the, and the prophets and in the Psalms, all right, it's speaking about the Old Testament. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. And then it also says he was fervent in spirit. He was passionate and energetic. Let me say this about, about Apollos. He was both heat and light. You've heard me say this before. The Puritans talked about preachers. They wanted to be both light and heat or both heat and light. So what does that mean? People who, who, who present light, they present truth. What they had to say is true. Those who are full of heat, they're passionate. And you want to have both. There are some people who will stand up and, and they'll give you some light. And they'll, they'll tell you what the scripture says. And it says right here. And, and this means this. And this is important. And, and this, was, this is the word here. And, this is the, and they're, they're saying truth. And then there's other people, other proclaimers of God's word. They just talk real loud. Jesus, Jesus, whoa, Jesus, whoa. All right. There's a lot of heat. But there's no light. They're not saying anything of importance. Not that Jesus isn't important, but that's just all. It, and, 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 and God wants us to be both. And God wants his people who proclaim his truth to be both. And here it says, at least in, in, in what he knew, he was both heat and light. He was instructed well. He handled the scriptures well. But he did it with ener energy, energetic in spirit, fervent in spirit. He actually believed what he was saying. And that was Apollos here. All right, then what, what does it say? Speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Now remember, the New Testament was not formed at this time. So he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus from the Old Testament. And if you ever read your Old Testament, you see Jesus all over the Old Testament. It's pointing to the coming Messiah, Jesus, all over the Old Testament. And that's what he did. He was pointing to the Messiah through the Old Testament. And then notice this last phrase in verse 25. Being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Let me read it again with an emphasis on a certain word. Being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Uh-oh. Here lies a problem. There's a problem. You know, what's wrong with the problem? Is John the Baptist, is he bad? Something John Baptist, did he, did, did, is there a problem with him? Did he teach something that was wrong? No. John the Baptist didn't teach anything that was wrong. John the Baptist was right on. So why is it a problem that Apollos was acquainted only with the baptism of John? Well, let's find out. The scripture tells us. Look at verse 25 with me. Um, or, or, I'm sorry, in, in verse 26. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Accurately, Apollos was using his gift and, train, uh, gift and his training to teach in the synagogues of the Jews. And Priscilla and Aquila were there listening as normally they would do on the Sabbath. Just like their, their mentor, Paul. Paul would go in to a city which we've seen all through his missionary journeys, he would go into the synagogue for an opportunity to talk to those at least who believed in the same God he believed in. All right? 
and, and, and then be able to share with them Christ. And what was happening, this is what Priscilla and Aquila did as well. They were there on the Sabbath to speak to the Jews about the promised Messiah came. And they come this one particular time, and there's a man named Apollos who is eloquent. He's fervent, and he is well-versed in the Old Testament Scriptures. And he is talking about Jesus and how the Old Testament Scriptures pointed to Christ. So they listen to him, and they notice there's something missing. There's something missing in what he's saying. There's something missing in what he's teaching. So they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Notice that they did this privately. They did this in love. Yes, what he was saying was true, but there was something missing. So they don't jump up in the middle of the synagogue and say, Hey, you're you're missing something. They wait till, and maybe they took him back to their house. We don't know exactly. And they come and, and they explain it to him more accurately. They lovingly give him more information. All right? Now, John the Baptist was sent to do what? To prepare the way for the Lord. To tell people that the Messiah is coming. Get ready. All the promises in the Old Testament of the New Covenant are getting ready to be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do. And when Jesus showed up, if we saw, as you see in John, he, see, he sees Jesus coming. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He points to Jesus. That was his job, to point to Jesus, that everything is fulfilled in Jesus. Our forgiveness of sins, the promise of a new heart, the promise of the indwelling Holy Spirit permanently in the lives of followers of God and the followers of Jesus Christ, permanently for the very first time in the history of the world. That's all promised in the Old Testament. That's what John came to do. You see, Apollos was an Old Testament saint. He was trusting in what was to come. And the problem was he was still trusting in what was to come, but what was to come had, came, had come. It had already been there. Jesus came. He didn't understand the significance of Christ's death and resurrection, nor the significance of the Holy Spirit's work in all of this. Jesus had come and had accomplished the mission for what he, the mission he was called to bring and called to fulfill. And he brought fulfillment to all the promises of the new covenant. The Holy Spirit would now permanently indwell people who would trust in Jesus. And after Priscilla and Aquila taught him all this, guess what happened? Apollos was born again. He was born again. In John 3, when you have this, this uh, conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, who was the teacher of the law, and Nicodemus wants to know, how can I be made right with God? And, 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 and how can he inherit eternal life? Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And he uses this illustration. The, the, the wind blows, right? All right? And we can't see the wind. We can see the effects of the wind, but we can't see the wind. And so it is when someone's born again. The Spirit comes into him. And now let me just say this about Apollos. Sometime in their conversation with him, guess what happened? The wind blew. The Spirit blew and came into his life. And he was born again. And now Apollos was a Christian. Now why would I say that? You say you're kind of pulling out straws here. I mean you're pull, pulling things and just making things up. I'm not. Look at verses 27 and 28. This is exactly what I believe happened. Because if that didn't happen, verses 27 and 28 would not be here. Okay, look with me. And when he, speaking to Apollos, wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he had arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. When Apollos went over to Achaia, and and Corinth is right south of Achaia, it's in the same region, notice what he did. He greatly helped those who had believed through grace. He greatly helped those who believed through grace. I love that. 
he used his teaching gift, now empowered by the Holy Spirit which indwelt him, in a whole new way to help those who believed in grace. That phrase is amazing. Those who believed in grace. We've already seen this, that the Lord with Lydia opened her heart. And, Paul, Paul, and it says that those who were appointed to eternal life believed. We see this work of God in the lives of people. And they believe. But why do they believe? Because they're smarter than someone else? Because they've been better educated than someone else? Because they grew up in a better family than somebody else? Because they grew up in the United States of America? Is that why they believe? Not at all. This makes it clear. Again and again, it says in the, new scripture, in, in the Scripture, it's something like this. Those who had believed through grace. So let me remind you of this great verse in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, um, which is in some ways ironic because this is where, Ephesus is where Apollos came to truly know the Lord. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man or so that no one may boast. So it says that salvation, all right, is a gift of God. But not just salvation. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. What's that pointing to? The whole work of salvation, including the ability to believe. They believed through grace. They were enabled to place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be made right with God because of a gift given to them by God that enabled them to believe through the power of the Holy Spirit. In and of ourselves... Without God's work, we will never trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We will never believe. We do everything we can not to believe. We suppress the truth. And yet God works and gives us the gift and the ability to believe so that we believe through grace. Apollos was indwelt now by the Holy Spirit. And he helped those who believed through grace. And he did so, look what it says, that he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. I want to let you know, Paul wrote glowingly about the ministry of Apollos in his first letter to, 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 to the church at Corinth. Because Apollos had received the rest of the story. And now he was a new man. He had a new heart. And he could be used by God to get the rest of the story to those who needed it. He was now a Christian. He wasn't a Christian when he first met Priscilla and Aquila, but now he was because he had the rest of the story, in particular the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. I love what Lloyd John Ogilvie says about Apollos. He says this, Apollos was the patron saint of those who find that religion is not enough. Say that again. Apollos was the patron saint of those who find that religion is not enough. How about you? Have you found out that religion's not enough? That knowing your Bible is not enough? That being able to teach eloquently with fervent spirit about the things of the Christ to come, it's not enough. By serving in the church, it's not enough. It's a religion. That that's all that is there. Hopefully you've come to understand that religion is not enough. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says you must be born again. Are you? Are you? Or are you like Apollos? This is my story. I was like Apollos. I grew up in a home that taught the Bible and taught about Christ. 
and taught the gospel. I just missed it for so long. Thankfully, the Lord opened my heart later on. But I knew the scriptures as a young boy. And I knew all the answers in, in Sunday school. I knew more answers. That I knew more to say than just, you know, a lot of people say, what's your answer in Sunday school? Jesus. You know, what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, Jesus. You know, they just whatever. I knew more than that. I knew the answers. I knew the stories. I knew what the Bible taught. But I didn't know him. I didn't know who the Bible, the, 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 the Bible, I didn't know the person the Bible was speaking of and pointing to. I was not born again. I didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I was a lot like Apollos. And I realized that religion was not enough. I needed Jesus. Not just head knowledge. I needed that head knowledge to become heart knowledge. And to have a true trusting relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's now look at chapter 19. And look at verse 1 with me. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. So here we go. We're on the third missionary journey, okay? And here's Paul, all right? He's come up through here. He's been in the Galatia and Phrygia area. Now he's come down to Ephesus. And he promised him at the end of chapter 18 he would come back. So now he's here back in Ephesus. So we find Paul during his third missionary journey now in Ephesus. All right? He, disciples of... Um, look, look, it says that he found some disciples here or there. He found some disciples. Now, it doesn't say whose disciples they were. It just says he found some disciples. So, well, you know, disciples, most of the time in the Bible talks about disciples of Jesus. Yeah, but there's also disciples of John the Baptist. There's disciples of Apollos. There's disciples of other people. The word disciples means learner. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a disciple of Jesus Christ just because it says disciples here. So, I believe that this context points to them being disciples of John the Baptist. Maybe through Apollos. But they're disciples of John the Baptist. They're just like Apollos. Luke is going to give another example of people who have a lot of truth, but they don't have all the truth. Therefore, they need the rest of the story to become Christians. They've got a lot of truth. They've got two parts hydrogen, but they don't have the oxygen yet. And here comes Paul now to Ephesus. And look what happens. I'm going to read verses 2 through 7 here uh, for us, and we'll come back and look at this. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had said his, laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. So Paul comes upon these 12 men, and he notices in these men, he notices something that indicated that they were not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, we don't know exactly what it was. There, there was no fruit. There was no statement about their life that said, I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit. On, on the way here this morning, I was driving with Anna Marie, and she had two necklaces in her hand. And she had like a bigger necklace, and she had a smaller necklace, and she put the bigger necklace in the console between us. And I said, well, what's wrong with that necklace? She goes, I have this one. It's more dainty. That's from a 5'11 girl. Once dainty. Okay, I got it. Dainty necklace. Little necklace. All right. And then, the, but the other one was like big. And I, I, and I said, well, was that one more elegant? She goes, no, that's a statement necklace. All right. And I told her, hey, this is our passage here. There was no statement that said, hey, I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit. They must have had like the dainty necklace on or something. I don't know. All right. But there was no statement. Something was missing. The fruit, 
Maybe the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We don't know, but somehow Paul looked, and nothing indicated that they had been indwelt with the presence of the Holy Spirit yet. And therefore, guess what? If they hadn't been, they were not Christians. They were not in Christ. Let me remind us once again what Paul wrote in Romans 8 and 9. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Uh, let me just say this. Uh, this passage, this passage all through Acts, the Scripture never teaches that someone becomes a Christian and at a later date they get the Holy Spirit. It never teaches that, ever. Ever. And I'll say this, like I said, a lot of many things. If you can show me in the Bible where it says that, I'll eat the page. It doesn't say that anywhere. That's a false teaching. You can't be in Christ. You can't be in a, a Christian without the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The Spirit of Christ, which is a synonym for the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. It's not about head knowledge. It's about a transformation from the inside out with a new heart. Amen. So if anybody tells you that, they're wrong. All right, show me. Chapter and verse in context. Don't take a little phrase out of here and a phrase out of here and a phrase out of here and make your own doctrine. It's wrong. You get the Holy Spirit. When you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and be made right with God, the Holy Spirit comes with it. It's a package deal. You get the whole trinity. You see, God the Father planned salvation. God the Son accomplished salvation. And God the Holy Spirit applies salvation. They all work together perfectly. And you can't have salvation. You can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Was that clear enough? I'm just checking. I want to protect you all from that heresy out there. You get all the Holy Spirit when you come to Christ. Now here's what happens. Then the rest of your life is the Holy Spirit and get all of you. It's called progressive sanctification. It's called being filled with the Spirit. which It's a command to continually be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit who is already in you. That's the command to believers to be filled. To be controlled by the Spirit, not receive the Holy Spirit. So here we go. They haven't received the Holy Spirit. He sees it. So their response, all right, and, and, and to, to, he, says, have, he says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And look what they say. No, we have not even heard where there is, whether, where, whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now that doesn't mean they knew nothing of the Holy Spirit. But this receiving the Holy Spirit, they had not heard about or seen. Because John the Baptist, go read what John the Baptist taught. He taught about the Holy Spirit. That was an important part of his ministry was teaching about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation. And the connection between the, 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 the Son and the Holy Spirit. He taught about it all the time. They knew about it, but this whole thing, receiving and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that, that's different. We I mean, receiving the Holy Spirit. We haven't even heard about that. Now, we're not sure how they hadn't heard of this yet. I mean, where, where have they been? I mean, the world is being taken over by the gospel. Where have these 12 guys been? Maybe they, they, they were taught by John the Baptist and they were so excited about what they heard, they went into far reaches of the, the world that Paul didn't hit yet on his missionary journeys, that early, early Christians didn't take the gospel to yet. Remember, they, they haven't got out there. Maybe they're up there trying to tell people that the Christ is coming. Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. Get ready. Repent. Maybe that's what happened. All of a sudden, they come back to Ephesus and here they run into Paul on a divine appointment. And Paul's getting ready to give them the rest of the story. So we don't know exactly how they didn't know, but they didn't know what had taken place in Acts 2. Paul did not assume that these people were followers of Jesus. Instead, he asked questions. Hear that again. He did not assume that they were followers of Jesus. He didn't assume that they were Christians. 
They may have been talking about Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Man, it says in Isaiah 53 that, that, that the Messiah, he's going to come and he's going to die for our sin. That's true. It's true about Jesus. Yeah, you're exactly right. But he didn't assume just because they knew that that they were Christians. You see a little implication here? We're going to come back to this. Do not assume that people are Christians because they say they are. Ask some questions. If you love them, ask some questions. Let's move on here. So he discovered that they, like Apollos, had not come to know that Jesus had already come and fulfilled all that they were looking for. They were longing for the Messiah to come and fulfill all that John the Baptist said he was going to do. And they didn't realize he had already come and done this. And then they believed and received the Holy Spirit. And then, then they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul let them know they were now a part of the body of Christ. How do you do that? By the laying on of hands. And there's nothing, nothing magical about someone laying their hands on you. Not at all. This was a form of way, a way to welcome people by laying your hands on them into an organization, a family, here particularly the, the body of Christ. That we, we accept you fully as a brother and brothers in Christ, these 12 men. He laid their hands on them. And then, this is again, remember that, that, that Acts, all right, is, is a presentation, all right, of the movement of the gospel throughout the world. And the epistles, the letters that we have after that are the explanation of what happened. We can never forget that this is a transitionary book. So everything that happens in Acts and the way that it happens, the order that happens, is not, is, is not necessarily what's going to happen in our life. Please understand that. All right, so here's what happened. He lays hands, you're welcome in. And then it says, the Holy Spirit came on, on, on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. What, what, what was this about, the speaking of tongues? Well, first of all, let me say this. The speaking of tongues in the New Testament is, speak, is, is what happened in Acts 2. What happened in Acts 2 was this. On the day of Pentecost, people were enabled to speak languages that they had never, ever spoken before. Real languages that other people knew. Not some gibberish and some ecstatic kind of speech where you flip upside down and blah, 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 blah. Any kind of, they were real languages. It would be to me, like I've used this before because Bizon's in here, is if I began to speak French, Bizon speaks French. He would, he would be probably the only person in here besides his wife, understand me, all right? If I were to speak in, 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 in Lugandan, there'd be one guy in this place that would understand Lugandan. Maybe Mary would understand a little bit. But it'd be miraculous because I've never studied those languages. I'm not really good at languages. I have a hard time with English. Hola. Okay? So that's what happened. And there's lots of reasons. And I'm, as I promised you, in May, I'm going to teach an overview of what the New Testament teaches about tongues. And you might be shocked. When we really look at the context of the New Testament in light, hold on, of the Old Testament and what was promised about tongues. What is passed off of tongues today, I'll just say this now, is not tongues. It's not tongues. It's not biblical tongues. I'll just say it's not. Because it's not in the scriptures, not taught. So what happened, but what this was, was showing that the, the new covenant had come and there was a promise when the new covenant came upon the people that there would be speaking in tongues. People would be able to speak languages never spoke before. And it would help get the gospel out. Also, it would condemn the Jews who rejected their Messiah. Also, there was prophesying, the supernatural ability to either foretell or to foretell something about God. It was evidence of the new covenant coming through the Messiah. Now listen, this has already happened in, 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 in um, the book of Acts. Let me tell you. That. And after this, there's never a mention again. So here's what happened. It started first with the Jews in Acts 2. Then did it, who did it move to? The Samaritans. 
And there was evidence of speaking in tongues and prophesying when they first came to know Christ and were born again, had the indwelling the Holy Spirit. The next group was the Gentiles. Same thing happened. In the first coming of the gospel to the Gentiles, there was the speaking in tongues and prophesying, showing the new covenant had come into to being. Now, there's Old Testament saints that are still left over. It's another group of people. And they too have the evidence the New Testament has come in. And this is declared to everybody, there's no varsity in JV Christians. There's no, okay, you're really a Christian, you're maybe partly a Christian. You're not quite as good. No, there's no varsity and JV when it comes to God. We're all on the varsity. Because it's not about what we do, it's about what he did. We can never get that messed up. We can never get that backward. If we're in Christ, we're varsity. And he's saying that these Old Testament saints now who have come to place your faith in Jesus Christ, been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're just as good as the Jews and the Samaritans and the Gentiles because we're all one in Christ. That's what's being communicated here. That's the emphasis in this passage, that now the, the, this ends of the earth is really being accomplished in Acts. And also in each case, when this happens, guess who's there? One of the apostles is there. Here's the apostle Paul, giving credence to this is true. This has really happened. Well, there you go. 1823-197. So what question do we need to ask? So what? Big deal. A lot of great stuff in there, neat, pretty exciting about Apollos and about these 12 guys and, and Ephesus. And, but here's the so what. I want to ask you a question. Have you heard the rest of the story this morning? Have you heard the rest of the story? Have you heard the essential nature of the Holy Spirit? That you must have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you to be made right with God. It's not knowing about a bunch of facts about Jesus. It's not being able to hold up a baseball card with Jesus' facts on the back and be able to recite them. It's not about that. Do we need to know some facts about Jesus? You do, you bet. But it goes beyond knowing facts. It goes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need a new heart which comes with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit when we believe. That's what happens. That's what you need if you do not know the rest of the story. Let me ask it like Paul asked it. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did he come in you and indwell you and change you from the inside out? Is there evidence of that in your life? Not perfection, but direction. Is, is there evidence of that in your life? Well, praise God if there is. If there's none, maybe you ought to ask a question. Hold on. Maybe my belief wasn't unto salvation. It was just belief in facts. If that's the case, I would call you to turn from trusting yourself and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and be made right with God. If you have, if you did receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, then I want to encourage you and challenge you that there will be evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. What are some of those evidences? And trust Him to allow you to do this. First of all, be mighty in the Scriptures. Be mighty in the Scriptures. Know how to rightly divide the word of truth as Paul writes to Timothy later in one of his epistles. To be able to handle the Scripture, to know the Scripture, to be able to talk to people about the Scripture, because guess what? If people are coming to know Christ, they're going to know Him through the Scripture. If people are going to be encouraged, which we're going to see in a second, it's going to be through the Scriptures. So not only do we need to be mighty in the Scriptures, we need to help those who have believed by grace. If we want to help people who already know Christ, who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they have the rest of the story, it'll be because of the Scriptures. That's how we'll help them. That's how we'll strengthen them. Thirdly, do not assume. Do not assume. 
If you've been dwelt by the Holy Spirit, don't assume that someone's a Christian. They've been dwelt by the Holy Spirit just because they say they're a Christian. I'm glad somebody challenged me when I was 11 years old. And challenged me with questions because I called myself a Christian. But I wasn't Christian at all. I needed the rest of the story. I need to place my faith in Jesus Christ. Do not assume. Well, that might offend somebody. Well, you know what? Better offend them than them to go to hell. That's pretty sobering. But it's true. Do not assume. And allow the Holy Spirit to take you places, just like he did Paul, you never thought you could go. To people you never thought you could speak to. To be used to do things you never thought you could do. And then watch the mission of God be accomplished through our lives. Good news. And that's the rest of the story. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that you didn't leave us with a partial truth about yourself, uh, a, a partial um, story about yourself, which not, would not have been good news. But Lord, you gave us a full revelation that we might know Jesus, that we might have the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, living in us to do the work you've called us to do for your glory. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, help us now as we lift our voices to you in response to the great truth that you have indwelt us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we continue to sing this morning? time of desperation when all we know is doubt and fear there is only one foundation we believe we believe in this broken generation when all is dark you help us see that there is only one salvation